Hi, everybody. It's good to be back this Sunday for our weekly podcast. I am here with two very giant people. I'm just kind of squished in between them. Excited to have Roger here, but then we also have John Morris here today. So I felt like this topic warranted having a few visitors. I'd like for you to be able to get the opinion of a couple people instead of just my personal opinion, which for those of you that have listened to me over the years, you kind of already have a gauge of my take on things. I'd like for you to get a couple different opinions. John Morris is a personal trainer here at Integrity Training Systems. He's an, uh, an integrity owner, but he is also a client of mine originally, uh, helped John to lose weight uh, after having a heart attack, and then also helped him to kind of take the approach of building muscle. And now he is a personal trainer here at Integrity, has been for years and does a wonderful job. Obviously we know Roger and I have worked for years. We worked at Powerhouse together. Both Roger and I have worked with bodybuilders and competitors for many years, uh, but we really just work with the average individual trying to make them exceptional. And you didn't introduce Goliath. In the majority, <laughs> Joe, the beard. beard is that's, right. my, that's my beard's it's name. It's Goliath, yeah. <laughs> And it's here as a guest appearance only. <laughs> right, right. And Not it's being shorter paid, than normal. You just had it recently. Three cut, inches. But cut yes. Off of it. Hmm. And we've we've worked with normal people and we've actually right yes and where do we even go right but we've made them so exceptional that they've then decided that they wanted to compete so we've never really set ourselves up as being a bodybuilding gem or really trying to promote ourselves to attract bodybuilders in fact we really don't do that at all and really actually work with a very small percentage of bodybuilders but because we've helped people get in such great shape that's become almost a goal you know that they've wanted to accomplish maybe at the end of losing 100 pounds a client will say i want to run a marathon i want to do a triathlon triathlon or i just couldn't say that a <laughs> i wanted to say a try that's what i was going to say um you know <laughs> and, and right tri triathlonics <laughs> uh, something like that but they'll decide where they want to go next and we have had quite a few clients that have said, I want to do a bodybuilding show. You know, I've worked out all my life. I finally got myself to a point where I'd really like to see if I could do this. And they've gone through a year's worth of losing weight. So they kind of feel like, hey, you know, I could probably do this. Um, so I, I'd like to add that I think between you and I, we've accidentally caused more pro cards at combined than everybody else in town put together. We've definitely, and that's by accident. So. We definitely not sought out no. that you know I mean we really we've never been the one that was on the bodybuilding forums that was just not our way uh, but again you know we would take a client that lost 100 pounds and they would go on stage and win a pro card we've actually had quite a few of those clients that won their pro card on the first show um, and we were just kind of like okay <laughs> so then they continue to compete some of them don't continue to compete some of them just truly wanted to go through that experience you know um, but today's topics of overtraining, bulking, and burning your muscle. And when I say burning muscle, I mean, you know, am I gonna burn through my muscle if I do that much cardio? Am I gonna burn through my muscle if I don't get enough calories? Those are our topics. They are somewhat bodybuilding related, somewhat competitor related, but they're also related to anyone that just wants to stay in shape. This show in itself, in part, is sponsored by O'Fallon Nutrition. If you have not taken the trip to O'Fallon Nutrition, please do. I, I, I actually got a couple messages last week from folks that had never been to O'Fallon Nutrition and because of our podcast last week, they made the trip. One of the ladies lives in Festus, so I was just so impressed that she made the trip. 
the, it's worth it. And she even messaged me and said, wow, that was worth it. That's a great place. It's completely unique in the fact that you can go in and if you're looking for supplements, you can get the supplements that you need. Rather, those would be bodybuilding fitness supplements or they would be essential oils or vitamins, minerals. But then at the very same time, I can pick up probiotics for my child. I can pick up flaxseed oil. I can pick up hair care products, deodorant, makeup, and then spaghetti sauce and honey and agave and anything that we could think of that we would find you know, at a typical law large grocer, we can really find these items, but with the right ingredients at O'Fallon Nutrition. We have personally been recommending O'Fallon Nutrition for many, many, many years. Even when we were way down at Powerhouse, we sent people all the way out here because we knew that they could get a, a product that we believed in instead of being sold something that's just a less expensive product that the actual company is making more money off of. We can trust that when you go into O'Fallon Nutrition and have a question, the, the actual information that you're being given is professional information. Their staff does not work on commission. You're in good, good hands when you go to O'Fallon Fallon Nutrition. They're located at Mexico and Highway K, right at the corner there, across the street from the Quick Trip. It is a wonderful, wonderful place, independently owned and operated for 15 years, O'FallonNutrition.com. Or if you are out of town and would like to have products shipped because you know you're going to get good quality products, you can call them at 636-240-5283 and they ship if you spend $50 or more on your order. So let's talk about the first topic. Um, I have been a personal trainer for a little over 15 years. There was a good portion of time that I personal trained down at Powerhouse Gym. I have always done nutrition counseling uh, with my personal training. It's just always something that I've personally believed in, um, but I now do a lot more nutrition than I do personal training. I do still have some athletes that I work with because I've worked with them for years and I just, I, I don't really want them to, to have to be trained by someone else when they have the relationship with me. Um, and I also do train some group classes which are filled with folks that I've trained for many years as well. I have a style of training, but I've never had a defined, definitive, this is the only way that you can do it style of training. I've taken an approach where I feel like weakness needs to be found first so that we can work through the inflexibility and the, the lack of mobility and really get a person strengthened first and work on those weak areas so that we're not always being hindered by those weaker muscles or by those imbalances that a person has. That's why we take you through the thorough assessment that we take you through. Now, one thing that we've done different is I've always incorporated bodybuilding training into it did, you know, any type of training that I do. So if I have someone that's in their 70s or if I have someone that's 17, I've always used the gym for it. So I don't just use bands, I don't just use mats, I don't just use balls. I have a full gym here full of equipment. Half of it is from Powerhouse. Thank the Lord we were blessed with that. But I believe in different pieces. I believe in dividing your body parts up no matter what age you are and really focusing and growing your body and working each individual body part instead of just always taking a whole body approach. So we have created classes here as well as individual personal training sessions. And I've kind of always been the only person in the community that's done this, where you would have a shoulder class, you would have a bicep tricep class, you would have a back class, you would have an, you know, any, a leg class, that sort of thing. And now I have a group of athletes that I've worked with for many years that 
have an exceptional fitness level and usually I will have them train legs a couple times a week and some body part maybe that they're weak I might have them train two times a week my leg workouts average two hours so the average leg workout that I'll be taking a group through or I'll take an individual through will be one to two hours um, but for the most part they usually have at least one two hour workout a week if not two of those and typically uh, for a female competitor we're usually working legs twice a week over the years uh, especially at powerhouse I have always heard the whisper of people saying that I was overtraining my clients that you know you can get that done in an hour you don't need to spend two hours doing that um, she you know she needs to not be working you so hard there's absolutely no reason why you have to put two hours into that and I have never ever paid that any mind I've ignored it and I've always just created winners and I've created athletes that looked exceptional we've always worked on foam rolling we've always worked on stretching we've always taken them to massage therapists taken them to chiropractors and made sure they stayed open they've always had a rest day they have an adequate amount of food to restore them recover them and make them strong they've always taken the most appropriate supplements as well before I let these guys tell me how they feel about overtraining, because you obviously know how I feel, I want to give this really brief uh, summary of what I read about Arnold. And this is just something that over the years, you know, I've always thought about. I grew up in a bodybuilding gym. I didn't grow up at a fitness gym. And I, it's nothing against a fitness gym. I grew up in a hardcore bodybuilding training gym. And I'm talking about, you know, being in the seventh and eighth grade, went to George Turner's gym. I watched bodybuilders that methodically worked out for hours. And I'm saying hours, and I mean hours. They and you were don't there. just mean standing around. It's right. not this concept of going to the gym for three hours and doing three sets. They were working. Right, absolutely. And so one one thing I always I always try to think, and, and at one point at Powerhouse, George Turner actually worked out when I was a personal trainer. He would be in there working out. I don't know how old he was then, Roger, when he would work out. What was he, 70, like in his 70s yeah, or something? 70. And the guy was in great shape. And I always try to imagine him telling people that they're overtraining and I just I just could never picture him going up to a person and saying you're overtraining you know you're training too much you shouldn't work so hard I just can't even imagine that but this is a great summary and then I want to get the guy's opinion on overtraining it says Arnold writes in his books he was training twice a day six days a week that is quite a typical schedule for professional athletes. The more an athlete makes progress, the higher the volume required to keep on improving. Michael Phelps swims at least six hours a day. Mike Tyson used to wake up at 5 a.m. to run, then go back to sleep, train in the morning, and do a third session in the evening. A small story about Arnold. As he was already well-developed, some were pointing out his calves could be better. So he tried many exercises but was not satisfied with the results. He basically went to a person, tried to get some more advice, and that, that person told them that he just needed to use larger weights on those movements. So he continued to do all the movements he was doing but just started to use larger weights on them. So there's no secret. If he wants to be world-class, it is like a nine-to- five day job except you work also on Saturdays so 
no one really ever in my in my reference um, told Arnold that he was overtraining. I never remember the forums or I never really remember the magazine articles where people were telling him that he was overtraining. And it says, I don't think it's impossible. Even naturally, one can train that hard, but not the first months, of course. It takes right. some time for the body to scale up to the challenge. Now. You have to understand that if you have a protocol that works for you and if it's an individual body part and you do it so many days and then you rest so many days and then you do it so many days and you rest so many days, good for you. If that works great for you, then that's what you should do by all means. But there are some athletes that are conditioned and able and they actually get stronger and stronger just because they're doing two hour workouts doesn't mean that they're overtraining. It means that they're conditioned well enough to train that way. So. John, I know, has a whole heap of information he wants to share on this, but I'm going to have Roger say it first because he says it usually pretty short and quick and to the to the <laughs> to the uh, to the point. point. And then we'll have John give the, give a, a whole huff and puff in one, which will be interesting. But what is your take on that? And use me as an example, Roger. You've watched me personal train for 15 years now, so I mean, use that as an example. Uh, well, I like to try to encapsulate everything in, in big ideas. Um, and I basically call them theories. And what we're talking about in this situation would be muscle adaptation theory. Basically what that means is that the muscle tissue training is designed to make the muscle tissue to adapt to what you want it to. So you're trying to use it to basically, in this case, you can make it adapt to heavier loads of training, okay? And that's kind of what Arnold was doing, is, is they were saying, well, to be able to have muscle growth in a certain body part, you have to adapt it on a structured pathway to be able to get it to hold more energy. And that's the way you have to think about things. Rather than, you know, saying, well, you're just overtraining. You know, they, again, that's kind of saying, well, X is the problem. I, do, I don't know what it is. Right. You got to really kind of break it down and look at it from a scientific viewpoint. Is right. it what is it exactly you're trying to do, and exactly what is it that the training is going to cause to push you in that direction? And again, it, it sometimes takes a little bit of a thought process, and bodybuilding really isn't known for that. Um, but again, whenever you're working with theories, eh, you, you can always go in that direction until it doesn't work, and then try a different direction. Sure, and if if your body, if you're listening to your body, and you understand that you're sensing a feeling of fatigue that you cannot overcome, then you have to scale back no matter if you're training an hour a day or three hours a day. You've got to be willing to listen so that the adrenals don't start to fatigue. But there's no fact that if you do one hour's worth of legs as opposed to two hours worth of legs, that that second hour's worth of legs is just literally ineffective because you should have been able to accomplish it all in the first hour and you're going to be so fatigued that in the second hour that you're not even making changes. Well, again, the, the theory would be is that you'd be adapting to being do a larger workload in a certain amount of time. And that's what it boils down to is the amount of, in this case, force and poundage being put out in a certain time frame. And again, you can extend it out and let the body adapt and what do you know all of a sudden the muscles adapt by storing more energy right absolutely and you stay strong through the whole two hours you know if you start losing your strength then you start paying attention to that stuff but if you're increasing in your strength then how exactly are you overtraining so 
John, what's your take on that? Because you've gone from losing 100 pounds, gaining 60 pounds, I mean, of just being solid as can be. You know, you've trained every kind of way that there is. Uh, you know, you've spent so many minutes on the stairs to try to get weight off of you and then you've done power lifting you've done bodybuilding training you've done high intensity training i mean I, th I think you're a good person to advise not to mention you train people all day uh i think when you're going to talk about overtraining, the first thing you have to talk about is what are you training for well, what are you doing you know that that word that terminology bothers me because you can train to be good at the guitar you can put a thousand hours into being good at the guitar so if you're training are you training to be a bodybuilder is your only goal the look of your body? Are you training to be athletic? Do you want to have a bodybuilder-like physique so that your biceps have great peaks and your triceps have great striations, but then you also want to be an athlete? You want to be fast? Uh, there's multiple components of why you would train the way you train, and there's multiple ways to train to get there. Once you establish what you're training for, then you start to try to grasp how much you need to recover for the amount of training that you're doing. This is where I think people get hemmed up. They're so quick to say overtraining because they don't understand why they're not recovering. And when you really get into the process of muscle adaptation, or like Roger said, the, the cellular level of the muscle trying to figure out how to do what you're asking it to do, that cellular level occurs because of how you recover. So that's when you're gonna talk about your sleep. Are you sleeping enough? You're gonna talk about your supplements, your micronutrients, your macronutrients, not just your macros, but your micros as well. All of this comes into play because you have to feed that recovery, that tissue. The workout is just the teardown phase. Now, how much you tear that tissue down leads to how much you can then build it back up. But the building back up is where people say that you are overtraining. It's because they don't feel that the ability to be built up was maximized. You did not hit 100% recovery before you again worked that muscle tissue, or you've killed this horse and now continued to beat it beyond what was actually a good idea of how much damage to do to the muscle. When you define what overtraining is though, just to give you some symptoms of overtraining, you're looking at muscle and joint tenderness, tiredness, tightness, decreased performance. That's huge, decreased performance. Right. I think that's Take that into account here. Increased people. rate of overuse injuries. You're looking at insomnia, disturbed sleep patterns, body weight loss, nausea, decreased appetite, allergic reactions that are out of your normal for allergic reactions, elevated heart rate and blood pressure, head colds and persistent upper respiratory tract infections that you did not used to get. I say that as I'm gonna tell you here in just a minute why I use it in that wording. Uh, training fatigue lethargy, changes in menstrual patterns, decreased coordination and decreased heart rate at a given level of running intensity. Now, the thing to think about is these are symptoms of overtraining, but they're also symptoms of a lot of other things. They're symptoms of just not sleeping enough. They're symptoms of just not eating right. So I guess when you ask me, do I believe in overtraining? Overtraining is a sensitive topic because someone who comes in off the street and has never worked out a day in their life has no business doing a two hour leg class. I mean, none. The reason they have no business doing a two hour leg class is because that cellular adaptation phase that Roger's talking about doesn't even know where to start. You're gonna hit these people so hard with such a level of intensity that it's gonna take them 14 days before they feel like they're walking normal again. It can almost become toxic from that. Correct, so that's gonna be overtraining for that individual. 
okay, for their place in life, let alone how they're recovering. If they've just come off the streets, I'm going to guarantee you that their food isn't right. I'm going to guarantee you they're probably not sleeping as maximally as you'd hope they were. You know, stress levels are key for recovery. Stress is being proved more and more to be a huge part of how muscle tissue recovers and adapts to your workouts, okay? So we don't know anything about this person other than that they've never worked out before and we just put them through a two-hour leg workout, okay? So that person's not going to start with that. That person might start with a 10-minute workout for legs or maybe they do do a two-hour workout but they have 10 hour or 10 minutes worth of work that occurs in that two hours. That's another thing that people get hung up on is the length of the workout. What you actually need to pay attention to is the volume of the workout. How many reps are you doing? How many sets are you doing? How much weight are you using when you're doing those reps and sets? How much rest are you taking between there? Because when you start talking about ATP and mitochondrial energy reconstruction in the muscle tissue, you start understanding that there's a flow that you can make these muscles operate at okay, of peaks and volleys. If you don't have a concept of that and you come in and burst everything out as hard as you can, well, sure, you're done in 10 minutes and you're going to leave because you don't have anything left in the tank. But it's about pacing, proper pacing. And a high level athlete is going to perform at a higher level for a longer period of time. So let's take a bodybuilder, for instance. If a bodybuilder's only goal is to change the way they look there is a much slower process, in my opinion, at which you can work out because you're really honing in and focusing on a specific muscle tissue. You're trying to change the way it looks, which we're going to get into a little bit later when we talk about muscle growth. And that's your goal. But if your goal is to be an athlete that looks like a bodybuilder and you enjoy being faster than the person next to you and stronger than you were yesterday and having an endurance that's on the same page as someone who swims all the time. If those are also goals of yours, let alone getting back into why you're training, perhaps the training is a release mentally for you or a good reset. It's not just about the physiology anymore. Those things are gonna affect why and how hard you train. And it may not be for someone else. Someone might say, well, I work out for 45 minutes and I've got the proper and perfect physique to win a show. Well, that's great. But this person over here might be trying to achieve that same physique, but run you into the ground if you had an athletic competition. So it's hard to say if someone else is overtraining. And I always find that fascinating. Really, the only person that's going to know if overtraining is occurring is you. And it's going to be based how you feel. Or your trainer. I, I really believe sure. that your trainer should sure. be, or, or potentially the person that's your nutrition coach that you're Correct. working with, they should be seeing the signs. Right. You know, when I've worked for this many years with certain athletes, there have definitely, definitely been clients that I've said, you honestly need to take the entire week off next week. Well, the whole week. Don't and, work well, out at all. And, and even the fitness community in general, overtraining is usually not going to be the problem. Right. Again, you know, coming back from the bodybuilders from the 70s and 80s and 90s, those guys trained. They trained a lot. They hung out. They, they, they right. trained. And, and as the years have went on, everything's been put into place to train less and train less and train less. And all right. of a sudden we get these, you're overtraining, you need to rest more, you right. need to, you know, <laughs> eat more pizza and sleep and nap right. and right. don't work out as often and everything like that. And again, I mean, you know, how much of, how much of it is actual science and how much of it is just... Um, advertise laziness right, you know right, again right. making this easier is always the concept of the industry as a whole to make it grow because the easier it is more people that'll do it right but again is it easy no usually it's not easy 
you know you get to a certain point to where the easy easy meter kind of goes off the scale all of a sudden it becomes this getting really hard this is consuming more and more of my time right more and my more, more of my effort and thought process so again it's kind of one of those things that as an industry you know coming from the fitness industry it was always designed to make it easier and easier and easier for people right. and sometimes we get lazy and start listening you know we, we start going oh yeah well it's overtraining all of a sudden it's all you hear about is overtraining overtraining it's actually really pretty hard to overtrain i would yeah. love to look as good as i want to look and train 20 minutes a day if you yeah. tell me that that's all i should work out i would love to hear that sure but it's not valid and not I, not for me i think that there's approaches that i've taken again i'll use the word methodical again i will look at let's say five females that i'm working with i'm just using example of females say every single one of them wants to get on a stage I can look at their glutes and say, I can't just squat, deadlift, leg extension, leg curl with you. There's absolutely no way. We've got to, we have to get a center of your hamstring showing. We've got to get you hit on the side here laterally. Um, there's so many fine tuning details that we need to do to the legs that literally take an hour just in themselves. Right. Just the small fine tuning movements. Then you've got the hour that we work some big movements and maybe some plyometric movements. You know, and I'll use Rex. Uh, remember Rex Tom, is it Thompson? Yep, Thompson? Okay, I'll use Rex as an example. How many hours were his athletes in the gym at Powerhouse? I mean, were they there for four hours? Yeah, but all I mean, it was, was like talking, a team. Yeah. I know, but they <laughs> yeah. were also working. And I'm telling you, his athletes were first place athletes. There was no second. Was there was school. no third. He's old uh, yeah, bodybuilder. yeah, he's just know? an old school bodybuilder. He's a but George Turner disciple he worked all the details he he worked all those detail movements it takes time to do that it doesn't mean that you're not going to rest in between the sets it doesn't mean that you're not going to allow proper recovery i'm not going to make you run in place in between every set but we need the time for those details well if we're only talking about bodybuilding like let's get real specific and talk about shaping someone's body if i'm going to work this line in my shoulder cap and try to create this ridge into my trap you know, you got to think about it much like a sculptor or even a painter, okay? If you're going to sculpt a large mound of clay, that first initial circle that you're sculpting in, you might be able to do that real hard and real fast in 10 minutes, okay? But if you're going to put a lined detail into that, or if you're going to paint a big splotch and then paint little details, the details are going to take more time. That doesn't mean they're as intense as the major parts. Right. So when you're talking about doing a squat, a squat is going to wear you out. You're doing a full body, let's say a back squat, you got a barbell loaded up and you're going to hit a set of 10 or maybe even a heavy set of five. You are going to wear out on that. That is not the same as doing calf raises. Okay. It's not the same fatigue. But the calf raises could actually take more time just by the sheer quantity of reps you're going to do or sets with the rest in between. So that's why time starts to become kind of relative in this. You know, you're not going to tell the painter how long he has to paint his picture. You know, there's details that just take a different level of time. Right. Absolutely. I mean, especially when it comes to the legs or when it comes to the back or when it comes to the shoulders. So I'll just add all three of those in there because the reality of it is, is with your shoulders, you know, some people say, well, all I do is press and I'll do a lateral and then I do, you know, a rear delt 
and that's that's all I need to do for shoulders. Well, I completely disagree with that. I think you need to do shoulders with this knuckle, and I think you need shoulders with this knuckle, and then I think you need shoulders with this knuckle. We've now hit the front delt from three different angles. I think laterally we can hit it three different ways so that you can build separation, you can build body. There's so many different ways you can look at the shoulders. You understand that that sometimes is going to take more than an hour well, to work. And, and one thing to note is there are people who can do a standing military press, a side lateral, and a rear delt fly, and have a perfectly shaped shoulder cap. Sure. And so that's great that that works for them, that those three movements are all they need. But again, you start talking about individuality and taking away this blanket way of lifting, not everybody's gonna shape their shoulders like that. They're not gonna get that through just those movements. And I think people get lost in that because they're like, well, it worked for me, and I had, Jim over here do it and it worked for Jim, so it should work for Roger and John as well, but it's not necessarily going to. So there's sometimes different levels and different ways that you have to achieve something. And you also, you only know what you know. Right. So you've been doing military press, you've been doing a lateral and you've been doing a rear delt, right? And it worked for you. But what would happen if you, Mr. Pro, Mrs. Pro, Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Know Everything, if you gave me four weeks of your life? My change. Okay, and you did work out with me for two hours. I wonder if the perfectly crafted shoulder that you have right now that looks fantastic wouldn't improve in a way that you didn't even know was possible. I wonder if I couldn't add a line of separation that you didn't even know existed. I'm the professional. I spend every day of my life, eat, sleep, breathing this, okay? All day long, I think a way is to change someone's body, change their health through food, but then change the way someone looks. I mean, Roger has sent me people and then I've sent them back to him and he's been like, did you move their bones or something? Like, how'd you get them to do that? That's it was, what I do. It was methodical, you know? <laughs> and I look at someone like, we gotta do whatever we have to do to make this change occur. And I go home like a scientist project and I just start thinking of movements and how that can change it. And it's something where as the professional, which is us, we really take this seriously, okay? It's not just, let me just pound you on the ground with every kind of leg movement we can think of. I'm just gonna work legs two hours and we do it for three hours. We do it for three hours, you're gonna be wore out, you're gonna grow some legs. We don't train like that. There's a reason why we're doing it that way. And when I have someone doing a one hour leg workout, that's the day they're squatting. That's the day they're deadlifting, leg extension, leg curling, okay? On the second day of the two hour, they are doing like three or four different types of lunges, side hack squat, uh, you know, reverse hack squat. I mean, they're doing single leg leg presses. We're doing some crazy different stuff so we can get lines. Handstands. We can get lines in places where they've never had lines before. People that look exceptional are not following that same status right. quo. I work chest on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday. I'm telling you, they're doing more and, and they are okay with it and, and they know when to slow down. There's also people who look exceptional that have gotten to that point that are now preaching something different. Right. I'm seeing this a lot in the, the fitness industry right now. These people who are, especially people that are trying to sell a product that are coming out and saying, well, if you use this product and this workout for 20 minutes a day, you can look like me. And they say that they're using it 20 minutes a day now. And it's like, well, that's great, but you did not create that off of 20 minutes a day because I can go back and watch the videos of how you used to train like this. You know, so you have to understand there's a lot of information out there. And the last thing I'll say about, you know, just training, there's a difference between muscle separation 
and a muscle belly and adding depth to the muscle belly. And a lot of people train for one one thing. Correct. And they don't really know how to change an angle on a movement or how to completely do a different movement or how to do a movement on this day and then three days later do a movement on this day, which would create furthered separation and growth in the belly of the muscle. Also learning how to create width and then thickness in the muscle is two totally different things as well. Like it's taken years to figure these things out. That's not overtraining. That's not overthinking. That's really making someone an exceptional athlete. And if someone has the conditioning and the willingness to put their time in, they're gonna look amazing because of it. So I also wanna talk about like uh, the food concept. So when it comes to, um, kind of along the lines of being a bodybuilder, which I'm, I hate to just use the word bodybuilder because there are a lot of people out there that are following the bodybuilding you know, community on Instagram and on Facebook. And that's kind of like what they're modeling their workouts from is right. these people that you know work out every day. So I, I hate to say bodybuilding over and over again, but you know what I'm, the, the drift I'm getting at. So a lot of times a person says, look, in your off season, meaning you're no longer gonna be in a bikini, either on a stage or on a beach, okay, your off season, you know, you're gonna need to put some weight on because the yes. only way you're really gonna be able to be strong is if you really put some weight on. I don't care if you're female, I don't care if you're male, you gotta walk around in sweatshirts and be a little bulky during that time because the reality of it is, is you can't eat clean all year long. For whatever reason, there's some sort of stipulation that eating clean, clean food all year long will somehow in some way hinder your ability to remain strong for the entire year. So I have never, ever positioned my athletes like that. I try to keep them in a position where they are between five and 10 pounds away from stage weight and they stay strong all year long. Even when they're almost ready for stage, they stay strong. And it doesn't matter if it's a male or a female, my athletes look conditioned all year long. They don't look swollen and chubby and blubby because they eat whole food, real food. They might look fuller, but they don't look unhealthy. They eat whole food, real food. So just like we did for the last topic, what are your thoughts on bulking? And it can be opposite of mine. I just want to hear what you have to say, Roger, and just what is that? This the whole method of that, rather it be for a female, rather it be for a male, you know, what's your, what's your thought process on that? Throw in, you know, all these different foods in and gaining gain 10 yeah, to 20 I, pounds. Again, I mean, going back to the big ideas, in other words, the theories. Um, in the bodybuilding community, for about the last 20 years or so, there's the bulking theory. And I've kind of renamed it lately. It's called the inertia of fat theory. Right. <laughs> <laughs> basically what they're saying is they're trying to explain inertia. And inertia is basically adding weight to a certain object to make it more immovable. Kind of like a tackle in a football. In other words, if you take a 200-pound tackle and you add about 30 pounds there's a certain point to where they're actually harder to move and they can more move by using uh, force and going forward they can move some another object that's smaller that's kind of the way inertia works the inertia of fat theory in bodybuilding is explained like if you gain fat then you'll be able to move more weight right it's not necessarily true right. again you're not using your weight to move the weight 
you're using the muscle to move the weight. In football, it's a different story because you're using your weight going at an increasing speed and you hit something, you can move it easier through inertia. See how that works? Right. It's really pretty cool. It's math and physics and stuff. But whenever we're talking about growing muscle tissue and utilizing the fat to be able to move more weight, that's not necessarily true. There's only a couple of different movements where you'd actually use your body weight to help swing that weight. Right. And just because you're using your body weight, inertia, to move it doesn't necessarily factor into the point that, that you're soliciting more muscle fibers. Correct. Because inertia, your fat is actually using gravity in the swing motion to move it. So again, in powerlifting, yeah, you can use that for your advantage because once you get your weight going in one direction, you can use it to bump another weight. Right. Pretty cool how that works. But it doesn't mean that gaining fat equates to gaining muscle tissue. It's a lot more complicated than that. Even just moving more weight doesn't necessarily command your body to gain more muscle. There's more that goes into it. You're looking at the overall uh, food input. You're looking at the solicitation of insulin and how it's drawing energy into the muscle tissue to work with something we call supercompensation. Again, very, very complicated stuff. So again, it's the fitness industry taking these Boy, that really makes sense statements, okay, because it sounds so simple, but it's not really that simple. If you were the to... Theory, yeah, the theory, yeah, the inertia of fat theory. <laughs> if you were to consider going through a bulking phase, it's, you, you want to think about, I'm going to increase my calories, but I'm also going to increase my output. So I want, if I'm going to increase these calories, I want them to be evenly distributed throughout the day. I don't just start blowing a bunch of new new products at, at myself and start eating them. Maybe I slightly increase my protein at, at each meal. I slightly increase my fat at each meal. I slightly increase my carbs at each meal and grow it gradually. And, and that's where I come back to another statement that I've said for years is there's actually nothing really that, that there's nothing overtraining isn't a possibility it's under eating that's the problem right okay so as long as a person puts in more and more of the food you can train more and more Absolutely. but again you come to a, a point of diminishing returns to yes. where the extra food doesn't really cause the extra weight training or the weight training doesn't man demand the extra food so again that's kind of the fine line to where you hire people to kind of figure out what you're supposed to be right. putting out on as far as weight training and putting in as far as food but again, there's no such thing as overtraining, there's just under eating. And focusing on health as you're adding those calories, realizing you wanna be at a premium place to be stronger and to be a better athlete. You're, you don't wanna just start dumping calories in, you want those calories to be utilized efficiently by your body. The inside of your body is what's ultimately going to end up helping you to be stronger. So John, what's your take on bulking? Oh, I mean, Drink as much milk as you can. Yeah. <laughs> eat candy. Um, I suggest Sour Patch Kids by the three-pound bag. Th th this is your beard Goliath talking. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So let me just say I've done this. Um, I've done every aspect of this. Like Debbie stated a little bit earlier, I have dabbled in just about every way of mass gain, weight loss that you can think of. And the first time I did it under this philosophy of get big, lift big. Um, I wanted to be strong. I wasn't a strong kid in high school. I was really small as a kid in elementary and middle school, and I knew I wanted to be big and strong. So got around some guys in the gym. They said, you get big, you lift big. And there was some validity to that. 
because like Roger said, uh, the bigger you are, you get inertia involved, you get um, mechanics involved in the movement, throw that and weight. you can throw yeah. that weight. But what was happening was um, I was also not healthy. Um, this is actually how I got up to 310 <laughs> pounds as I was eating so much food and just eating poorly. So I got up to 310 pounds and it gave me a heart attack. Now, I obviously went pretty far in that direction. This is a little more extreme than the people that are telling you to gain 10 or 20 pounds for a uh, bulking phase um, for muscle growth. But um, I, I got to 310 and I had a certain number. You know, if you're talking from a power lifter standpoint, a power set, if you will. And that number was what I based my identity off of, how strong I was with that. The problem was that uh, not only did I have a heart attack, I started having connective tissue issues. Surprise. Um, when you're using mechanics of your body and the way that you can move a piece of equipment or a weight from point A to point B, and you don't recruit the muscle tissue to do it, something has to take the, the brunt of that impact. And it's gonna be your connective tissue. So I started tearing tendons. I started pulling um, joints out of socket. I started having all these issues. I tore a rotator cuff, uh, tore both my tricep tendons. I started tearing muscle tissue, not because the muscle was firing right, but because it was lengthening improperly. And so long story short, after losing 100 pounds and getting down to 210, where I realized that I was carrying 100 pounds of body fat that I didn't need, I started to grow. Um, and a story for another time will be how many people told me I was gonna lose my strength and my muscle tissue by losing that weight, by the way, which isn't true. Um, now I walk around, I've grown myself back to about 265 pounds and my power total is higher than it was at 310. So not only is my strength higher, my body weight is lower, my body fat is way lower, my muscle content is higher, and I look more like a bodybuilder now than I did then. So I've also started focusing on the visual effect of my muscle tissue and how I train it. And so from a bodybuilding perspective, my body weight should probably actually be closer to about 230 pounds. But I do walk around at this 265 because something that I train for is to look big. So that size does help me. It's not to lift more weight. It's, it's not to make me able to mechanically be stronger. It's legitimately to look bigger, which is what I train for. So if that's your goal, your goal is to look bigger, then slap the 20 pounds on and look bigger. But if your goal is to remain lean and have good solid muscle tissue that looks bigger, you just don't need it. And I think when you're talking about what muscle growth is, when you really stop to think about what causes muscle growth, you think about the teardown effect of your workout. So I've got a little article here and I'm just gonna give you the scientific definition rather than trying to spout something at you. And it's the physiology of muscle growth. After you work out, your body repairs or replaces damaged muscle fibers through a cellular process where it fuses muscle fibers together to form new muscle protein strands. Okay, so when you think about that, uh, something for maybe another podcast or another time is you start to get into the terminology that Debbie was talking about, about muscle bellies. You know, I know bodybuilders that have the best looking biceps I've ever seen, but they squish in your hand. But I also know people that have the appearance of a fat arm, and when you squeeze it, it's solid. So you start talking about muscle density, 
and how to train fibers to change shape and change size or how to add extra fibers to the muscle tissue which densifies the muscle and also causes a size increase and when you start talking about those trainings within those two types of trainings and those two types of repair there's two other individual areas for width and height and this is in every muscle tissue and then you start talking about the type of training of slow twitch versus fast twitch and how each muscle within each person's body even responds differently to that type of training. So when you're trying to put muscle tissue on, just throwing calories in your body or supplements in your body and throwing body weight on, that's not gonna grow muscle tissue. It will grow you and it will grow what the scale says you weigh, but you're not growing muscle tissue. To optimize that, you work with a professional who's gonna teach you how to consume the right amount of calories, get the right amount of recovery, to repair the proper amount of teardown of the workouts you're doing to build the muscle. And when, you, when people talk about, well, you're gonna burn through your muscle, if you don't start adding, if you don't start adding more calories, and if you don't get enough carbs in, if you don't, you know, if you don't have a cheat meal every weekend, you know, at some point you're going to end up burning that muscle tissue because you're just not getting enough. You know, especially for like my marathon runners and stuff, they always have people that'll come to them and say, "You're just going to burn all your muscle through that whole ride if you don't eat, you know, 16 sweet potatoes this week right prior to the ride." Right? So. Roger, how, how is it that they burn through their muscle tissue so easily? Why is that such a theory? I don't know. They'll have to, that person will have to They'll call have me to and tell, tell us, me. Right? So I mean, burning muscle tissue is actually something that's very, very hard to do. Um, if someone, earlier we were talking about overtraining and stuff like that, um, whenever your person gets into what we consider marathon training, yeah, you, you can start utilizing lean body tissue for energy consumption um, but outside the marathon training probably not going to happen um, during exercise the body is going to pick up over 90% of its energy consumption through stored body fat only about 7% comes from lean body tissue and that's just any exercise that you do and then during rest you have a tendency to put the 70 the seven percent back and hopefully you don't put back the 93 percent you burn during the consumption that goes all the way down until you get to a point to where you reach a point of leanness then the bot then the numbers start switching right and you hardly ever get beyond 50 50 burning half fat half muscle but again, this is whenever you reduce your body fat percentage down for guys under 4%, yes. for females under 6%, you don't really get to that point. But if that's the only source that you have to go to, you go to it. But if you've got an extra 100 pounds of body fat, you, guess what? You're probably going to access stored body fat. Right. The body does not like to burn muscle for energy. It does, it's not very usable, has a five-step hierarchy system to convert it to energy, and it just doesn't make much sense. It's kind of like if, if, if somebody wanted to make a fire, let's say they have a fireplace and it's cold outside. Usually the person doesn't go break down their sofa and burn the sofa. Usually they go out to the wood pile and bring in the wood and burn the wood. That makes sense okay that's kind of what the body does as long as there's a wood pile better known as stored body fat the body's going to go get the fat it right. doesn't go to the muscle tissue it never goes to the muscle tissue first 
you really, really have a long time before you ever get to that burning a higher percent than 7% from lean body tissue. That's it. That, that's, that's all there is to it. Now, I don't care what, whenever people say you're going to burn through your muscle. Well, if you're at 4% body fat, right. there could be a slight possibility. Yes. But even if at that, you're still going to access it about a 50-50 ratio, right. half muscle to half fat. And you're going to replace the, the body the body muscle a lot easier than you're going to replace the body fat because the, that's what the body does. So again, it's just kind of one of those things that they get into saying these things and over the years more and more people saying because it gets so easy to oh well that just makes sense and that makes sense to have because more it's a big statement a or more it, protein exactly. shakes or whatever it, it, it's a big statement that you you know you say you know you take five seconds to say you're gonna burn through your muscle and all of a sudden it's like oh i'm gonna burn through my muscle stop okay right. how do i not burn through my muscle right eat a whole bunch of protein bars yeah you know again you got to step back and put a little bit more thought into it. And again, call somebody like me or Debbie or John and we'll tell you, we'll, we'll explain to you because it takes a little bit longer to explain how, right. And again, when you put it into, I'm going to make a fire to not be cold, you're not going to burn the furniture. Okay. You're going to burn the wood pile. If you have stored body fat, guess what? You're going to burn stored body fat way before you ever get the muscle tissue and if you can make a way to where if you have stored body fat and if you can come up a way to direct your muscle your body to burn that muscle tissue bring it to me i'd like to see it i'd like to see the actual science behind that because that's not what the body does well, the body the... doesn't have a direction to go burn body lean body tissue if it did we you know ten thousand years ago we'd all be potatoes sitting around with no muscle and all fat because that would have occurred back then when we didn't have food, but the body has protective mechanisms. Yeah. I think the percentage that you said is a key factor here. I, I don't think people realize how much body fat they walk around on. I know a lot of bodybuilders yes. personally that are like, oh yeah, I'm 7% right now. And I can look at you and I'm like, you're not 7%. And even if they were 7%, they would still, still access too, exactly. at the 93 to 7% ratio, proven by science many, many times. And if you ever come up with a way to where you're going to burn 90% muscle and only 10% fat, bring it to me. Because that is a complete and total freak of DNA that doesn't occur. It just doesn't happen. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. It, again, it's something that somebody said one time. It was, made it sound really cool. The people didn't know what they were talking about. But your body does not have a mechanism to go burn lean body, fat, body tissue before fat tissue. It doesn't have the mechanism. Okay? I mean, duh. You know, it wouldn't make sense for the body to do that, just like it doesn't make sense to burn your couch instead of a wood pile. <laughs> doesn't make sense. And my suggestion in summary, really, for all of those topics is choose who you're going to follow. So if you hire someone specifically to train you, and you hire someone specifically to do nutrition, you've got to quit listening to the bodybuilder at the gym. You do you. Do your deal. Well, it's not only the bodybuilders at the gym. It's bodybuilding magazines, well, sure. fitness Ab magazines. Everything. Absolutely. Because, again, they're trying to capture somebody's attention, say say 10 words, and make a purchase happen. Yes. And, again, yeah. I'm not talking about making a purchase. I'm talking about this is just the way science works. And it's real hard to explain. It takes a lot longer to explain rather than just Correct. these these phrases. Yes. Yeah. 
We just spent an entire hour talking about three topics. Yeah, we didn't even break down the really four ways scientifically that muscle real, tissue grows. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, mean so, we'll do that next time. Yeah. yeah. But, understand that if you try to take tidbits of this magazine article tidbits of this uh youtube video and then a little bit of what your trainer's saying and a little bit of what your nutrition coach saying you try to marry it together and kind of do your thing you you're not going to be okay right you know follow a path and stick with the path you'll get the results from that path if you then after you know three months six months nine months a year decide i want to go a different direction a different trainer a different coach then go that direction right. you know but you can't do a little bit of this and a little bit of that you've got to find your focus and then focus on it and stay focused well and just on that you know just take the concept of overtraining for example if someone's going to tell you you're overtraining and you're going to buy into that then you need to listen to them and train how much they tell you to train right. and stick with that because if you buy into it for a week and you don't train that way and then you come back and train that hard and then you buy into it for two weeks and you don't train that way you are going to start to do what we were talking about which is under preparing your body for the exercise or the training that you are doing yes. that will mess you up it changing your food bringing more calories in because you're trying to grow because someone told you to and then taking those calories back out you, you can't do that so whatever process you're going to follow follow the process because jumping around is not going to achieve anything Trust for you. And, and I always tell people that, you know, and I've said this for years that if you're going to, if you're going to pay almost a dollar a minute for somebody to tell you what to do and you don't look different every other Friday, hire somebody else. Okay. At some point you'll find a person that knows what they're doing. Right. Or you could come to Debbie and say, I, I know she knows what she's doing. Right. Again, you're going to get a value for your dollar because you're going to look different every other Friday. Your jeans are going to fit better every month. You know, it's just the way it works. But again, just blindly going in and writing somebody a check doesn't make you look better. Right. But again, choose who you're going to follow and, and stay committed to that path. For more information on how to work with an Integrity Training Systems personal trainer, you can call us at 636-299-2208. We offer a free personal fitness assessment at our O'Fallon location or our Clayton, Missouri location. Uh, to inquire about the five-month nutrition program that we do here at Integrity, where we tell you exactly what to eat, where to buy it from, how to prepare it, what to order when you eat out, what you should be drinking, and any vitamins and minerals you should be taking you can take a look at us at integritytraininggroup.com as well. Now, we always talk about pure plates being sort of the exception to why a person cannot use, I don't have time to prepare my food as an excuse. PurePlatesSTL.com is, they're located at, uh, they're in, down there in Chesterfield Valley and they also have one out in Kirkwood. If you cannot find the time to get your food prepared each week, this is easy. If you're dealing with issues with your blood pressure, you're dealing with issues with your cholesterol, you need to lower your blood sugar, if you're having some inflammation issues, go there and get a week's worth of food and just see how you do. See if you drop that inflammatory weight that you need to drop and then work with one of us so that we can get more detailed with it. If you struggle with just getting your lunches made for the week, go there and get five lunches. You can go there today and pick up a meal or you can have them delivered to your house or deliver to our here our integrity location here uh, it's for more information on pure plates is pureplatesstl.com 
both John and I have ate at Pure Plates for I years. Ate it. I ate it all week. He right eats now. Pure Plates every day, all week long. So, you know, we have them delivered here at the gym. They're, they stay here. He's it, All of his meals are made available, and they all taste great, and they what look great. What is Goliath like from there? Uh, beef. <laughs> so for more information on Pure Plates, give them a call at 314-778-3555 or again, pureplatesstl.com. And our last sponsor, Dr. Richard Bly, is my personal medical doctor that I've gone to for probably almost 15 years now. He's worked with me on my thyroid, my hormone issues. Uh, he is my general practitioner. We also go there for IV therapy. Um, we do glutathione injections. John does the NAD brain therapy, also hormone you know, treatments. They have an entire list of proactive medicine. Dr. Bly is such a different medical doctor. He just thinks ahead and he's doing stem cell therapies, always on the cutting edge of what's next in medicine. If you've considered a new primary care physician, I highly recommend Dr. Richard Bly, B-L-I-G-H, and you can find him at drblyblighmd.com or call them at their ballast location at 314-994-1536. Thank you all for listening and God bless.